Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Podcast. We are in season three and reflecting on the topic, what Jesus wants most from his church. Each week we'll be looking at the passages in the letter to the Ephesians to see how God answered Jesus's priestly prayers found in John 17. So enjoy this time in hearing the preaching of God's word and may you be encouraged in the great hope you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, worship team. It is good to be with all of you this morning to be able to take a look at the scriptures together. And this morning, we are again looking at Jesus's prayer that we find in John chapter 17. And this is a prayer that he gives to his disciples, where he says it in the presence of his disciples. He's praying it to the Lord, and it's right before he's going to be arrested. And so this is a really important prayer. In fact, even before this, there's some instruction that he gives the disciples. They're having a conversation, and he's basically preparing them for what is about to happen. Basically, that is, in fact, he tells them at the end of chapter 16, he tells them, look, uh, the time has come where you're going to be scattered, you're going to go to your own homes, and I'm going to be alone you're going to leave me alone. Basically, he's saying, you're going to abandon me. And it's during this time when when he says that to them, he shares this information with them, then all of a sudden he begins in this prayer, praying to the Lord, and he's praying for his disciples. And I think the reason why he's going into prayer is because he realizes that this is going to be the most vulnerable time for the disciples. They're going to be scattered. They're going to be isolated and they're going to abandon Christ. This is the opportunity for the evil one to come in and speak lies and to take them down the wrong path. This is a very dangerous time for the disciples. And so Jesus prays for them. And it's really important that he's praying and some serious things that he's praying for. One of the things that he's praying for the disciples is for them to be one. To be one to be one together or united together, but not just for them to be one together, but to be one in Christ and the Father. This unity, unity with one another and unity with God. But here's the crazy thing. Jesus doesn't just pray for them. He also prays for those who are going to hear their testimony in the future. They're going to go through this difficult time, but in the end, they're going to come out And they're going to start giving testimony to Jesus Christ. And it is through their testimony that others will believe. And we see that in the book of Acts. And that is the birth of the church. These believers that hear the testimony of these apostles, Jesus is praying for. Which means this, we are the church. We believe based on the witness of the apostles. That's what we read in the New Testament. That's what's been given to us. And my point is that Jesus is praying for us as the church. We here as the church, Dave and Hadassah, you have now become members of this church. He is praying for you. He is praying for us. And what is his prayer? That we may be one. 
united together, united with him. That's his prayer right before he goes to the cross. This is what Jesus desires for his church, that we be one. And we should take this seriously. We should, we should get the sense of the gravity behind Jesus' prayer because this is what's he, what he is praying right before he dies. This is really important to Jesus, and therefore it should be important for us. So that's, that's what we're talking about. Last week, we, we kind of gave a big overview, and that's the overview of what we're talking about. Uh, and here's the thing. Last week, we talked about this a little bit, not as much as we should have. But how can we be one? Where's, what, what drives this oneness? It is the gospel. It is the gospel. And so we've been going to the book of Ephesians, or we're going to continue to go to, go to the book of Ephesians to kind of unpack this prayer about oneness and what it looks like and what it's all about. We're going to go to the book of Ephesians. And last week, we went to Ephesians chapter 2, where it says we were all dead in our trespasses and, and sins, meaning that we were all in the same boat. We were all in trouble. We were declared children of wrath because we're all sinners. That's one way that we're united. We all have that in common. But then it says, but God, but God, rich in mercy, right, gave us life in Jesus Christ, right? So we were once dead, but God made us alive by faith in Jesus Christ. And that is now how we are united, faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. And so the cross is the engine or the power in which we can now be united. So that was last week. This week, we are going to read part of Jesus' prayer again and then jump over to Ephesians chapter 4. And we really want to focus on this unity that we can have as we speak truth to one another in love. That is the call. So it's, okay, we are one in Christ so how does this look practically? That's what we're kind of talking about this morning, how it's going to look practically. So let me pray. We're going to do this a little bit different. Usually we read the passage first. This time we're going to pray. And then we're going to look at part of Jesus's prayer. And then we're going to jump over to Ephesians, okay? So this is kind of like a roller coaster. Might be a wild ride. Put on your seatbelts. Here we go. So let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together, that we can talk through these passages and, and really reflect on what it means to be one, to be unified as the church and also be unified with the Son and the Father. What does that look like? Lord, I pray that as we work through this passage, you would reveal that to us, not, not my words, but the word of God may reach our ears that we may be ministered and move towards unity and oneness that you call us to. Father, that is our prayer this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 
So we're going to jump into this prayer, and we're kind of jump, jumping into the middle of it. John chapter 17, verses 14 through 19. This is Jesus praying, I have given them your word. So this is Jesus saying, I have given my disciples, my apostles, your word, Father, right? God the Father, Jesus giving the disciples God's word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, that they are not of the world just as I am not of the world sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. All right. Little section of of prayer, but there's a lot going on in that prayer. There's, there's a lot of different ways that he's, he's talking about one thing, but he's coming at it from all these different directions. And so we need to kind of tease this out a little bit. So the first thing that we need to look at, and keep, keep that uh, passage up there as long as you can. Oh, you have it on different slides. Keep that one up, okay? Because the word that we want to look at is that word sanctify. Sanctify in the truth. So what does sanctify mean? Well, uh, it can mean to purify, right? To get impurities out and to, to be pure. But I think in this context, it's um, because another definition, and I think this is what the context is talking about, is to separate, to set apart. That's uh, another word would be holy. To be holy is to be set apart for a particular purpose, usually for a sacred purpose purpose, a unique purpose. That's what sacred means. That's what sanctity is all about. So to separate them in the truth. Well, what does the separation look like? Well, if you go back to verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are what? Not of the world. They have been separated. They are now distinct from the world. And I think that's what he's talking about here when he's praying for them to be sanctified in the truth. Remember, Jesus has been with them all this time and he has been continually giving them his word or God's word which has sanctified them, which because they're believing in his word, they're following Jesus, that has separated from the world, right? Jesus was hated by the world. They too are following Jesus, and so they are hated by the world. They've been separated from it through God's word. And now Jesus is praying, would you continue that, Lord? This is a continuation. I'm going to be gone. I will not be speaking the word to them anymore. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to die. They're going to abandon me. They're going to be alone and isolated. Continue this work of sanctification. Keep them separated from the world in that way. Continue to give them the word of God. The word of God. Therefore, this is what what it comes down to, is that the word of God is what is separating them from the world. The word of God is, is what is separating them from the world. 
And here's something that is so beautiful that, that he ties in also when it comes to the word that he is speaking, that he wants them to continue to, to follow and to keep. Look at verse 17. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You see that connection. Calls to sanctify. How are you sanctified? By the word. What is the word? It is truth. So later, after Jesus is arrested, he's going to go to Pontius Pilate. He's going to be interrogated by him. And Pontius Pilate is trying to find some way to to, uh, arrest him and to kill him. And one of those ways is to, to have Jesus admit that he's the king of the Jews. Hey, all these people are accusing you of being the king of the Jews. There's only one king. It's to be Caesar. Are you defying Caesar? If you're the king of the Jews, you're going to die. So he's saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus goes, uh, it's, he doesn't answer him directly. Where did you get that I'm the king of the Jews? Did somebody tell you that? And so they have this conversation about the, being the king of the Jews. And Jesus says, I, my kingdom is not of this world. So he's separating himself again, right? But he's also not denying that he's a king. But here's what's really interesting that he says, though as they're kind of going back and forth about this. Finally, Jesus answers him in a different way. He says, I have come. My kingdom is not of this world, but I have come here to bear witness to the truth. I have come to bear witness to the truth. What happens next, I think, is crazy. Pilate turns around, walks away from Jesus, and his last words are, what is truth? What is truth? Do you realize that a few chapters earlier, Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. At that moment, Pilate turned his back on the truth. Jesus is the truth. He speaks the truth. Not only is he the truth and the word. In fact, the beginning of John talks about that, right? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with the Father. And then later it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word, he speaks the word, and it is true. It is true. Let me tell you how true it is. When he started his ministry, he started to teach. And people around him said, he teaches like one with authority, like no one else. These people were listening to other teachers, and they're like, okay, that's pretty good. But this man teaches with authority that we've never heard before. Not only in his teaching, but he would go to people that were possessed by demons and he would speak a word, demon be silent, and the demon was silent. Demon, get out of him, and the demon would leave. The word that was authoritative in teaching was also authoritative in the spiritual realm. What he said, the spirits would do. But not only that, 
But there is times when Jesus would get up and speak out in nature. There was a time when he's on a boat and there's a storm and there's winds and they were in danger and the disciples are going, Jesus, won't you help us? Jesus gets up and he says two words, be calm. And nature obeys. The word of God is truth. And that truth is so powerful that all of creation, all of creation must obey. Must obey. At the very beginning, God spoke creation into existence. Let there be light. There was light. Let there be water upon the earth. There was water. Let us make man in our own image. Boom. Man and woman in his own image. The point is this, is that the word of God is true. It is truly true. It even brings things into reality, into existence. That is powerful. That is powerful. And so the question is this then. We are called to speak the truth. We're going to look at that in Ephesians. We are called to speak the truth. And it is powerful. The truth divides. As we see, it sanctifies. It divides. It sets us apart. And basically, this, it's a picture of two paths. One that leads to life eternal and one that leads to damnation. The word divides, and it's very powerful. And so how do we speak the word? The call for us is to speak it in love, right? A lot of times we want to speak truth because, of course, we want to be right. And we want others to admit that we are right which makes much of ourselves, right? If you agree with me, well, <laughs> it's because I'm on the side of truth. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome that I can speak truth and change your mind. That's not what it's about, is it? It's not about me. We are to speak the truth in love. And so that is the call. And how does that look? How does that look to speak the truth and be sanctified by it. How does that look? Well, that now brings us to Ephesians. So we're going to walk through this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. We're going to take a few sections at a time. So let's first look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. So here's the thing. We are called to walk in a manner. What is that manner? What is the manner in which we are to walk? Well, it's with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. That is the manner in which we are to walk, right? So, so walking is this, you know, sometimes you can tell 
uh, who a person is by their walk. I remember uh, my house uh, looks over a parking lot, and it's and my eyes are getting worse. Okay, uh, my eyes have always been bad, so I'm not going to blame it on being old. But my eyes are getting worse, and there's I remember somebody walking through the parking lot, and I couldn't identify them by by their features, right, by their face, but I can recognize them by their walk. I go, oh, I know who that is. Okay, so it walk. This walk is how we are identified. And how are we to walk? With humbleness, gentleness, bearing with one another. Friends, for myself, I don't always walk in that way. I fall short all the time. That's not the kind of walk that I usually walk. And so especially when it comes to truth, when, when, when I'm engaging with somebody and we may disagree, and there's something inside me that, that, that grabs a hold of me. And it feels like the temperatures rise. And maybe it's not the temperature. Maybe it's my voice that rises. And I start getting a little bit more energetic. And I start to argue a little bit more to try to get you to agree with whatever the idea is or my opinion is, which I think is the truth. And out of that, I think it's a heart that it's not about caring for you, but it's more about wanting me, myself, to be right, to be justified in what I just said. <laughs> that I don't have to apologize and admit that, I must, that, I, that I'm wrong. There's something inside me that says, uh-uh, I'm the one that's right, instead of speaking truth in love. Uh, This idea of love, when we speak the truth, it's to be in love. So what does this love look like? Because we have various ideas of what love looks like. But in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is patient. So there, here again is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its way. That's, that's a big one right there. Wanting to insist on my way. It is not irritable. Oh, man. Irritable. Anybody, anybody struggle with irritableness or resentful? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love, here it is, love bears all. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So this is our call when it comes to truth. Truth that does divide and can be painful. We are to do it in this kind of way, in love. A love that is kind and patient and doesn't boast and is not arrogant. So that is our walk. That is what we are to look like when we speak truth, it is out of that heart. All right, continuing on, verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 4. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So I love that word eager, right? Eager to maintain the unity. 
So it's not just like, oh man, we're called to be unified. We're called to come together as one and, and having to be dragged in that direction. That's not what this is saying. This is that we want to be unified, that we have a heart of unity, that we're looking for that instead of looking for ways that, to divide. And I think this is very uh, a major contrast with our world today. So I, I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention this again. Because I think that we have a, um, a business. We, we have created a business, a livelihood out of uh, divisiveness in our culture, in our American culture. That the more divided we are, or the more that we can, we can well up debate and divisiveness, the more money, you know, more people will kind of jump on board and take sides. The more clicks you get, the more money you make, the more people that will watch. So I think that's, that's what I see a lot in our media today, right? To, to really get viewership, you really need to disagree with the other side and do it vehemently, right? And this is contrary to that. What Jesus is, is praying for and what Ephesians is talking about is in contrast to that. So James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 talks about this. Because this is in us. It's not just in the world, but it is in us. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So it comes within these passions you desire and do not have. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So let's talk about this. Let's, for example, coveting, to covet something, to want something. Now, a lot of times we see that and we think of material things, right? Like, ooh, man, I would love to have that car. Man, I love Butch's Hawaiian shirt. I wish I had a shirt like Butch's. Is that a Hawaiian shirt? Okay, good. And so we think of it as material things, but coveting can be non-material things too, right? Uh, desiring something from someone else that, that they can give, right? It, it doesn't have to be material things. It, 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 could, be, um, it could be time, right? It, it could be um, uh, words of affirmation that we desire, that we crave. I covet words of affirmation and you're not giving them to me? It could be that you would agree with me. I, I, I desire your approval. I covet your approval. Therefore, what I believe, come on board. I don't want to be wrong in front of you. See, the, there's various ways of coveting. And it's that kind of coveting to, to want something so much that we, we, we don't think about loving the other person. It's about us. And that's what causes the quarrels and the divisiveness. Because we're holding on to things so much. That's what this is talking about here. So instead of holding on to these things, in order for us to eagerly maintain the unity, to have that eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit, we must identify those worldly passions within us Find out what those are 
repent from them. That means to turn away from them. Turn away. Turn towards humility and gentleness and patience in order to bear with one another in love. That is the call. That is what it is to look like, right? To walk in that manner. And friends, this is a daily exercise. It is a daily exercise. We wake up. When we wake up, those passions are there. Those desires are there. And throughout the day, yes, there will be times that we, we mess up, we fall short, and we give in to those passions and desires. But you know what? Jesus, Jesus died for those sins. His grace is sufficient to forgive those sins. And the call is for us to get back up and to walk. Walk in the manner that we are called to as children of God. Amen? All right, so this call for oneness and unity. What is that? The question is, is what is that? What is it that we are to be united under? That's the next question. What is it that we are to be united under? So think of it this way. If you think of our, our country and you think of the flag, and the flag for you might represent freedom or the Constitution um, or democracy. You know, we have this this flag, and we are to be kind of united under that, right? And, and to um, the United States, right? That's what we're to be united under. And the flag kind of represents that. What is the flag that we are to be united under? I think Ephesians answers that question. This is chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. This is what it says. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. There's a lot of ones in there, isn't there? A lot of oneness. And what that comes out of is God, right? The end is very important here. One God who is all and over all. And see, that is the call for us to be under God who is one. And it is this God who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins that we may have a hope. And it's one hope, right? That is also what we're united under. This one hope. And that is eternal life, to be with our God for eternity. That is the flag that we are to be under. That's the, the direction that we are to go. And so the picture of this, and I, I know I always go back to this Pilgrim's Progress book, but this is a great illustration of, of people, of Christians that are going on this journey. And this journey is one path. They're together. One, going down this one path, and throughout that path, there are these other paths that kind of pull them away from the right path. There's, you know, shiny objects. There's these things that allure people, that lure people away from that path, that divide. And what, what, what he's saying here is, no, there's one path, 
right? So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he continues on and says, no one can come to the Father except through me. It is Jesus Christ and his work that he's done on the cross for us that unifies us. That is the path that we are to stay down and to stay on. And that's what Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 is talking about. This oneness that we are to have, it is in Christ and his gospel. However, we are one, right? But we have to admit that there's also differences. There are differences with us, right? So it's this challenge of being unified even when there's diversity among us. And that is what um, our passage is, is talking about. So if we jump down to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, he says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so basically what he's saying there is Jesus has given us different gifts, right? And they're identified, they're represented in this list here of prophets and teachers and preachers and apostles. But what do all of they what do all those have in common? The one thing that they have in common is that they are to proclaim and speak the word. They are to proclaim and speak the word in order that we all can be built up in Christ. And so the word here, again, we're going back to the word. Remember, the word is truth. That is what unites us. And so even though we have different giftings, the one thing that we're called to do within our giftings is to proclaim the word to one another, to speak the word to one another in order that we may be built up, right, into unity. That's what verse 13 says. Ephesians 4 verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. When will we ever get to the fullness of Christ, the full stature of the fullness of Christ? It will be not on this side of heaven. The point is this, as we are to move in this direction, we are to minister to one another and, and attain uh, this unity of faith, move towards it until we die. Until we die. This is the call of the church. This is what we are to be united under and what we are to do together as the church. It is to be ministers to one another with the word. You know what, friends? I often forget. I have a terrible memory. And a lot of times what happens is throughout the week, I'll start believing lies. Believing lies that the world tells me or believing lies that the evil one tells me or believing lies that I tell myself. And oftentimes, it takes the Word of God, whether it's me reading it from Scripture myself or from one of you within the church, to remind me of the promises of God, to remind me of the Word of God, to direct me there. So when I'm spouting off lies, right, my life is horrible, you know, everything's crumbling around me. 
Mike, do not forget the promises of God. When I'm feeling guilty for my sin, and I think that God cannot forgive me, Mike, go back to the word. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and will forgive you of your sin. That is a promise from God. You see, so that is the call for us all to speak and minister the word to one another. This is what we're doing right now, right? Now, I get the opportunity to do that as, as I'm reading the word and explaining it, but it's not just a reminder for you. It's also a reminder for me. I need this as well, but this is what we do on a Sunday morning. When we worship together, we're worshiping and singing songs that have promises and truths in them. We're doing it as one. So not only am I speaking it, I am hearing it from others around me. And that bolsters my faith. I have fellow believers that believe the same thing that I do. We're trying to believe and hold to the same things I do all around me. And so even as we gather together on a Sunday morning, there is a way that we are being united together, ministered to by the word of God. All right, I'm going to skip a few sections and close with this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Well, let me say this because this applies. Verse 14, why do we do this? Why do we have to speak um, truth? Well, it's so that we'll grow into maturity. And the opposite of that is immaturity, or the scriptures say, um, uh, no longer be a child, right? And what he's saying here is uh, being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So basically, it's these lies that lead us astray that we often hear from the world and from the evil one and from even in our own hearts. And that's a dangerous place to be. So back to verse 15 then. Then what are we to do? And in order to avoid this immaturity and move towards maturity, it says this, rather speaking the truth in love. That's what we've been talking about. Here it is. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Speaking the truth, the powerful truth of Jesus Christ, the truth that divides, but it also unifies. It unifies. We are to speak the truth that we may be united together, built up towards maturity so that someday we will be before the presence of our God and we'll hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That is the call. That is the hope. And we need to do that together. If we are scattered, if we are isolated, we are in danger of going astray. But if we stay united under the gospel, not by any other 
idea or belief or politics or, uh, you know, what car you drive or what uh, football team that we follow. That is not what unifies us. It is the gospel. And that's why when we gather in this church, that we remain faithful to the gospel of preaching it and singing it. Because that's what unifies us. And that is what brings us through the, our through our lives, through on this path to eternal life. Let us hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us hold to the word and let us speak it to one another when we have opportunity. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can come together, that we can talk about what it means to be united as we speak truth and love. Lord, that's a difficult thing to do. But I pray, Lord, that you would give us the heart through the Spirit, that you would give us the heart, the heart to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling. Lord, thank you for this time, and, and would the Word transform our hearts so that we would bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. More information about Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope.